0: So we talked about that God's God's way, his method of doing things is speech. And we looked at one of the most powerful miracles that happens in the life of any human being ever, and it's salvation. And we looked at Romans 10, and Romans 10 says that there's a righteousness that comes from God. And this righteousness says, I, I thought that's so interesting, it says. And you say, well, what do you mean a righteousness that comes from God? There's all kinds of ways you can try to get righteous. You know, you can have all kinds of, of It's actually called self-righteousness. We think of self-righteousness as being haughty and arrogant. They're so self-righteous. But actually, self-righteousness can look very pretty and very nice. I'm going to be right with God by being a really, really good person. I'm going to be right with God by changing my behavior. I'm going to be right with God by this or by that. I'm going to be right with God because I'm going to be a great rule keeper. I mean, I don't need Jesus. I'm just, I can do this thing by myself. That's called a self-righteousness. And the Bible says there's no way in yourself that you can be righteous enough to compare or to have the right to heaven because you're going to compare yourself with God, who's impeccably, perfectly righteous. And so all these methods, in fact, the Bible says over and over and over and over uh, that we, we cannot be made righteous by the works of the law. I mean, this is a system God established, even in the Old Testament, and God says, that system won't make you righteous. But there is a righteousness that comes by faith. Now, maybe you you kind of think, well, I think I'm a good rule keeper. I'm like a a rule keeper. That's just the way I'm wired up. I remember one time we were somewhere, and it was late at night, and we were going to turn around in a parking lot, and I passed the turn and went up to the next turn. Darling said, why didn't you turn there? I said, because there was an out arrow on it, and there's an in arrow. I had to go up to the in arrow. She was like, oh, my goodness, it's 10 o'clock at night, and I think it was a bank or something. The bank's closed, but... But but I'm a rule keeper. I can't go in the out. And so some of you are like that, and you'll think, I'll be made righteous by that. No, you won't. No, you won't. No man will be made righteous by by the law. So there's a righteousness that comes by faith, and that faith, that righteousness says that eternal life is really near you. It's really near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so it's, it's interesting how it's, it's very near you. You don't have to, I'm going to go get Jesus, I'm going to go do this. No, it's very near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your, your heart. And so when we look at righteousness, and, which is going to be kind of our theme today and all the little tributaries off of righteousness, if you look at a, a dictionary definition, which actually is a good biblical definition too, it says righteousness is this. Now think about this. This is what righteousness is. It is perfectly and flawlessly keeping the divine and moral law of God so that you're without sin and therefore without guilt. Because if you don't have sin, you don't have guilt. And so you look at that and you say, wow, that's what it takes to be righteous? That's, that's the, the definition for it. Now, ask yourself this question. Have you ever gone a stretch of two or three days? Well, we don't even have to go that far. Have you ever gone a stretch of 24 hours where you would say, I have kept the divine and moral law of God in my thoughts in my actions, in my attitude, in my heart, in my words. I have kept the divine and moral law of God. I've been sinless. I'm talking about apart from Jesus, just in our behavior. I've been sinless. And therefore, I am guilt-free. Well, in case you're wondering, have I? No, no, you have not. Just, I would tell you that. You, you haven't. We just We're not that good at going very long at all without some kind of sin of attitude, thought, word, deed, whatever. And so... We're going to say, well, I can't be righteous then. You can't be righteous in your own self. But then we have this incredible thing called the gospel. And Paul is talking. Paul was a, uh, wrote probably two-thirds of the New Testament. He was a Jesus hater who became a Jesus lover. Something about meeting the resurrected Jesus can change your whole thought process. So he met the resurrected Jesus, did an about-face, he had the opposite direction. By the way, that's, that's a beautiful definition of repentance. We think repentance is, I'm going to say sorry for every sin I've ever committed. You don't even know every sin you've ever committed. If we had to be saved to say every sin we've ever committed, oh my goodness, first, we wouldn't have enough time, we wouldn't live long enough, and we wouldn't even know that. And so Paul took an about face. He was heading one direction and turned a different way. The, the concept of repentance is, this, is to think differently after. Paul thought a certain way, so he's headed a certain direction. He has an encounter and a conversation with Jesus, and he thought differently after that. Amen. That's repentance, and so he headed a different direction, because I now think differently after that encounter with Jesus. That's what repentance is. And so Paul is super excited about sharing the gospel with anybody who will listen, and so on the in the Romans, he's established a church there in Rome, and Romans were the Roman people were Gentiles. Now, I say this a lot, but I just... I just always remember all the things that confused me. And so, well, what's this and what's that? And The Jewish people, if you were not born a Jew, then you are a Gentile. And that's all the world's divided up in Jews and Gentiles. The Romans were Gentiles, non-Jewish people. They had a very, you know, modern culture and society. They—they they, Now, not a very Christ-centered one, but a very modern one. Uh, we have a very modern society, but I think we would all know not a very Christ-centered one, but a very modern society. You know, new ways of thinking, new ways of thinking things are right. And the Romans were like that too. And Paul comes, takes, and brings to them the gospel. Let's look at that in Romans 1. Powerful, powerful verses. Paul said earlier, I've been delayed at getting to you, but I'm finally getting to you. And he said, that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel. Now, we often call the gospel, which is true, the good news of Jesus. It's the good news of Jesus. That's what gospel means, the good news of Jesus. I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome, for I am not what? I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Now let's see what happens here with the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the, what's the next three words? Power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to To everyone who what? Believes. Believes. Now we're awful at teaching that to people. We teach to everyone who believes and, and, most of you remember our beloved Larry Schreier. He traveled with a gospel group for years and he was kind of the Rhodian sound person, did different things like that. they were invited into a church, and this was like in the 70s, and hairstyles were longer in the 70s, and, you know, clothes was a little funkier looking, and so they go to a very conservative church, and the people meet them and go, oh my goodness, Uh, like, I mean, this is what they're trying to say politely, who who invited you guys here to sing? Because now we, we knew we were having a guest singer, but we didn't know it was a bunch of hippies, you know, so... Uh, The guy got up to speak before they sang, and he began to talk, and he began to talk about hair length. Now, it was interesting, because nobody had long hair except the singing group that was there. And finally, he said, you know, some of you are saying, how long is too long? And he said, if it's longer than this. And so he had a real tight-cut haircut. Because we want to say, salvation is available for all who believe and have the right haircut. It's available for all who believe and, and have said they're sorry for every single sin they've ever committed. Uh, The gospel is the righteousness of God's revealed and salvation to everyone who believes and. We all got a bunch of ands because you and I, there's something about our human nature. We want to try to do something. We want to try to make something happen. But God doesn't put any any qualifications on this, does he? And you can read your New Testament. You'll see this all the time. To he who believes, to he who trusts, to he who has faith. It's just faith, belief, trusting. And he says here it's the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Not the righteousness that you and I try to create. Not the righteousness this world says exists. But the righteousness that is of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. What's that mean? It means from beginning to end. Start to finish. That's it. There's nothing to add to that. It is... It's the righteousness of God that's revealed from start to finish. Then it says, as is written, the righteous will live by what? By faith. Faith. Not by works. In fact, the scripture tells us not by works. So no one can brag, no one can boast. It's a gift from God. And so I decided to call this message today, I couldn't figure out what to call it. So since we're hubbing off salvation, then looking at several things that come off salvation, I just called it so great a salvation. The Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 2 says... That we need to be very careful that we do not ignore or set aside so great a salvation. It's, a, it's a, Actually, if you read it in Hebrews, it's a very stern warning uh, about not neglecting so great a salvation. So salvation is its like a really big word. Uh, time goes by so fast. I taught about this a year, maybe it's two years ago. How big a word salvation is and how much is encompassed in salvation. You know, basically we think of salvation as as uh, being saved from our sins and that is part of salvation but the Greek word there is soteria and I'm not a Greek scholar not trying to do a Greek lesson but soteria soteria and just a little side note again the Old Testament the Hebrew scriptures was written primarily in Hebrew the language of Hebrew the New Testament was written primarily in the language of Greek and so When we decided we didn't read Greek or speak Greek, some scholars came and took the Greek New Testament, which was the original writing, and turned it into English so we could read our Bibles and know what it meant. So Soteria gets translated as deliverance or salvation probably most often, but also gets translated as welfare or well-being. Health could be included in that. Uh, Prosperity or blessing. Deliverance. Preservation. Preservation salvation, safety, health. This word salvation is a big word. It actually encompasses soundness and wholeness of every part of our being. Every part of our existence is found in the word salvation. So here John, who's one of Jesus' right-hand men, you'd think, well, Jesus, he didn't have, like, any favorites, did it? It seems like he did. There was uh, Peter, James, and John, the inner circle that seemed to get in the action on everything, And John was the beloved disciple, and so we've seen Paul's words about salvation. Now we're going to look at John's. John says, but if we walk in the light as he, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with our Christian brothers and sisters. We have fellowship with God. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from what? All sin. How much sin? All sin. Purifies us from... All sin. Did you get that? All sin. So, like the sin you committed when you got in a big argument on the way to church today? That sin's covered? Well, would that be part of all? Yeah. Well, how about sin I might commit two years from now? Is that included in all? Yeah, Yeah, it's included in all. He purifies us from all sin. Now, our human uh, route for purification isn't as good as God's, but if you've ever... I'm not a metal whatever that fancy word is for a metal person. But if you take precious metals, gold, silver, whatever, they purify them by fire is what I've read. And when they purify that, dross and junk and debris rises to the top supposedly. I mean, I've never seen this done. So if, if I'm wrong, you can tell me afterwards. You'll get the idea. And they scrape off all the impurities. And what's left is, is the closest, best we human beings can do it, having pure silver, pure gold, pure whatever, because all the dross, all the junk, all the... Garbage has been removed out of that material, so it's been we say purified. It's been purified, and so the blood of Jesus purifies. It takes all the dross, all the junk, all the sin, all the junk, and it he scrapes it off. Of course, he does a better job because if you ever buy some some uh, silver, it'll probably say like nine 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 point nine nine pure. But Jesus says one hundred percent. It's one hundred percent. When we've gone through the blood. We've gone through the purification process of God. We're 100%. So the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Let's read on. This next verse is absolutely so powerful, uh, we kind of abuse it a little. We'll talk about that. In verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He, God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And here comes that word again. And he will purify us from all what? Unrighteousness. So think about this. Okay, so the blood of Jesus, God himself, he purifies us from all sin. So therefore, I am sinless, right? I'm without sin. Now, I know this is going this is why it's so great a salvation. It's mind-blowing. Just think about this. Are you a believer in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about church goer. I'm not talking about a pretty good person who tries to turn over a new leaf. I'm talking, have you given your life to Jesus? If you've given your life to Jesus, then he has purified you from all sin and all unrighteousness. So if I now have no unrighteousness in me, what do I have in me? Righteousness, Righteousness. right. So now I'm sinless and righteous. Now, I know it's, it, our brains are going to explode because we know ourselves too well. And we would be the first one, unless we're narcissistic and arrogant and deceived. Because it, you can't be deceived, apparently. Because if you say you have no sin, you're deceived and truth isn't in you. But I'd say most of us here, if not 100%, we're not deceived. We know this. We look at ourselves and say, That's, no, I know me too well. But God knows you better than you know yourself. And he sees you through the eyes of Jesus. He sees you through the finished work of Christ. That's why it's so great a salvation. I can't help but get excited about salvation. It's so great. Because I am now standing before you right now, sinless and righteous. And, and again, you could say, I know you better than that. Well, I'm not talking about how you and I know. We, we don't know one another according to the flesh, the Bible says, but according to the spirit. And so I'm now covered in the righteousness of Christ. And so you're sitting out there, if you're a believer... Let this register. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, let me let you in on something. You are sinless and righteous. Now you would say, well, I just don't think that's, that's right. Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay, we're just looking at the Bible here. I'm not making stuff up. We're just looking at the Bible. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And here's that again. If we claim we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word, God's word isn't in us. Because God will tell you, you're a sinner. God will tell you, this is his word, on your best day, you're an unprofitable servant. Your best righteousness, apart from Jesus, is filthy rags. That's the best we can do, apart from him. Now here's the problem. I don't really have a problem with the verse 9 as it exists. It's a beautiful, powerful verse, but we human beings always want to do something. We're always wanting to fix something. We always want to earn something. So... And guys, guys, we're awful at this. You know, if, if I don't know if gals are like this, but guys are like this. If you do something nice for me, like if if you buy me something, and I have a registry online, uh, if you buy me something, no, I don't. If you buy me something, I have this internal obligation that I feel I need to buy you something. You know that? I don't know if you ladies are like that, but now all of a sudden, I mean, if... if if you remember my birthday, then I feel like i got to remember your birthday. I don't want to remember your birthday, but I feel like i got to now. Actually, I don't mind remembering your birthday. But there's something in us where we feel obligated. So as human beings, we say, hold it, God did something big for me. I've got to do something. I've got to... Now, I'm not, I don't mind that we want to do something for God out of a pure heart or we want to do the good works God has called us to do, but I've I, I got to earn something here. And so we try to earn it. So we've turned this verse, verse 9, into a a human effort to stay saved. We're going we're to maintain our salvation through human effort. So we've turned this verse into, hey, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins if we confess our sins, but if we don't confess our sins, he won't forgive us. And so now we have a problem. So I want you to think about this. Think about this as an illustration. Think about the person that most represents Jesus to you. Somebody you know, maybe it was a... a in my family, be my great-grandmother, Green, who's went on to be with the Lord. She loved Jesus. She was a holy, godly woman. And in fact, uh, her sister that I always shared Christ with, her sister believed, I cannot know Jesus. I cannot go to heaven because I've not been good enough. And then she would tell me this every single time I'd share Christ with. She'd say, but if there ever there was a woman who got to go to heaven... It was Ada Green. Now, Ada Green, now she was saying that because Ada was so good. My great-grandmother Green would tell you, my right for heaven is not based upon my goodness, but upon Jesus. Jesus is the reason I get to go to heaven. But her sister couldn't see all that, which finally she did come to know Jesus as her Savior. I just wouldn't give up, so every time I visited her, I would share Christ with her. Finally, I showed her what the Scripture says, and she could finally come to grips with that wow it's Jesus it's not me so I want you to think about the person that most represents Christ in your life a, a gal a guy and I want you to think about them they love the Lord they're the real deal they go after God but one day and you know this about them right you know they're not Jesus you know they're not the Savior of the Lord you know they sin but in your mind they're as close to Jesus as you can get so think about this one day they go in to make a, trans- a business transaction of some kind maybe it's a department store or whatever and they just get frustrated. And I don't know if you've ever had a clerk or a situation where you get frustrated with them. And so this person that you most think about being like Jesus starts copping a bad attitude, uh, being rude, and uses words. I mean, it doesn't cuss them out or anything, but uses rude words. And so they've, they've been rude. They're, their words, their attitudes, their actions. And so they end up barking at this person right you know, say something kind of hurtful and as they turn around to walk away they fall over dead with a heart attack okay, think about that they just sin in their attitude their actions, their words and then they fall dead instantaneously of a heart attack so, now this is not how it works, but this is how the world sees it when you die, the world says you go up to the pearly gates and there's usually somebody manning the pearly gates to decide who gets to go to heaven or not, does anybody remember who that person is? That's Peter. Okay, so Peter's manning the gates. And so this person that you think of being like Jesus comes up there, and Peter's there, you know, very, very dignified. And he sees this person, gets the name, looks him up, starts going over their records, going, oh my goodness, this person's like the real deal. This person is a beautiful example of Christ. And starts reading through. And then Peter starts looking over the last five minutes of their life. And all of a sudden, his heart sinks, his face drops. And he calls out the name of the person that you see to be most like Jesus and says, this brings me no pleasure. What a bummer time to die. Right after the way you behaved. So, please hear me. Depart from me, ye worker of iniquity. You're going to hell forever. Now, if there's something about that that doesn't seem right, it's because it isn't right. It isn't right. You say, but, but, but. But John, we just read, John said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us of our sins. He or she didn't confess their sins. And we know this, Trace. There's not going to be any sin in heaven. And so what, what do we do here? You know, He or she died before they had a chance to confess their sins, so now they've got sin on their heart, sin on their life, and sin on their mind, and they've come up to the pearly gates. We can't let them in because they have sin. What are we going to do about that? Now, this may tweak the way you've been taught. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, okay? Verse 9 isn't saying you're going to maintain your salvation by making sure you're confessing everything fast enough before you die. What is it saying then? It's saying this. Before you can get a savior, you have to recognize yourself as a sinner. Because only sinners need a savior. And so I have to come before the Lord and all of a sudden recognize I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so I confess my sins. Now again, I'm not going to confess every single sin I've ever committed. I don't remember all those. But I'm going to confess to him I am a sinner. I violated your holy law in word, thought, deed, action, you name it. I've, I've broken it. And I'm a sinner. Because, I don't know if you know this or not, but there are people, always have been, who will say, how dare you call me a sinner? i'm not a sinner well are you a believer in jesus no i'm not a believer in jesus but i'm not a sinner either besides i mean then they get real philosophical besides sin is only a social construct that a bunch of religious fanatics came together to try to get us to behave the way they wanted us to behave and so they came up with all these rules you can't do this you can't do that you must do this you must do this and they come up with all these rules so sin isn't even real Sin is just a social construct that someone came up with so you can't call me a sinner, because there's no such thing as sin. Now I will tell you people who say that, first of all, they're wrong. they're deceived. The truth isn't in them. They're calling God a liar. But I've also found out that people who say that, if somebody breaks into their house, beats up their family and steals their stuff, they want justice. What would they think if the thief said, "How dare you call me a sinner?" Who says I can't take your stuff? That's just a social construct. Who says I can't beat up your family? Oh, my goodness, I didn't do anything wrong. These are just social constructs. Uh, All of a sudden, it seems like it's bad and sinful to this person. But verse 9 is telling us is there has to be a point where you come to your life where you say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I cannot save myself. But it's not a verse that tells me I have to keep this up in order to maintain my salvation. Or otherwise, we're getting saved and lost and saved and lost and saved and unsaved and saved and unsaved. Dozens of times, if not a hundred times a day. And so we have to pray, please God, let me die at night. Because every night when I put my head on the pillow at night, I confess my sins before you. And that's my only hope. Because I might die and fall dead between a time where I didn't have time to confess. You say, but Tracy, what what about that sin that was on their life? What's God going to do with that? It can't go into heaven. He's going to do with it what he already did with it. You've been purified from all sin. When Jesus looks at you and the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees your Savior. And so, as far as God's concerned, that sin's not on you. All your sin has been forgiven. You are righteous. You are holy before the Lord. Now, I want you to think about this because we don't want to insult God. It's almost like saying, Jesus, I know you left the glory of heaven. You clothed yourself in a human body. You were brutally murdered for my sin. You said that all my sins were purified and I had no unrighteousness in me, but I just don't think you were quite enough. But I think you and The proper timing of my confession of sins, that might be enough. No, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. He absolutely is enough. So no sin is going to go into heaven because when believers walk into heaven, guess what? They are the righteousness of God in Christ. All their sins have been forgiven. They are the righteousness of God. So there is no sin. Unless we're going to start rewriting the Bible. See, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says we are the righteousness of God in Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin so you and I could become the righteousness of God. If I am the righteousness of God, can I be any more righteous? I don't know how. I really don't know how I can be any more righteous than to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5 as well, that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, a new creature. The old is gone; the new has come. It isn't the old sinful you standing before the Lord. It's the new cre- creation that's standing before the Lord. And Hebrews ten fourteen says, "I don't have slides for these. You can jot it down if you want to." Hebrews ten fourteen has a beautiful verse. It says, "And Jesus has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He's made perfect forever, perfect forever, forever." Now, if you're going, I, I don't know about this. I'm just asking you, let's just examine what the scriptures say. Not what our guilty conscience says. Not what granddad might have told us. Not what we always kind of always thought. I, I say this respectfully. But what I always kind of thought, if, it, if it's in conflict with the scripture, I'm going with the scripture. I'm going with God. Yeah, but my great-grandmother Green... Wonderful woman of God. If I, she told me something, I always thought, well, it's got to be true because great-grandma Green was a godly woman. But I found out one day, oh, what she told me wasn't true. I would pick God over great-grandma Green. And we have to do the same thing. We have to pick what God says. And this is a very liberating truth for us. The gospel is powerful, and it reveals a righteousness that comes from God, and it reveals the forgiveness of sins. It reveals the purification of all sin and all unrighteousness. So, please hear me, if you are a Christian, now again, I know there's millions of people sitting in churches today who are not believers. They're good people, or they're religious, or they're, they're faithful in their church attendance, but they've never said yes to Jesus, and sometimes they don't even think they need to. I, I remember uh, Darlene telling me about her uh, brother-in-law, Henry. Brother-in-law, Hen- or brother-in-law Henry, uh, super, super good guy, And he always felt like he didn't need a savior. He was a good guy. I mean, why would I need it? I'm a good guy. And then one day, he met Jesus. And he said, wow, I'm not a good guy when I compare myself with Jesus. And he gave his heart to the Lord. And so lots of people are sitting there thinking they're good people. But if we are Christians, then you are as pure and as holy and as righteous right now as you ever will be. Now, some of you might have got discouraged and thought, you're kidding me. This is it? Okay. There's two things that go on in our lives. And Jesus said, it's said about Jesus in Hebrews 10:14. there. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. This is what I believe that scripture means. I got all the right stuff in me, and I'm totally holy and perfect in Jesus. But I work that out in my life because I want the beautiful stuff that's in me to be lived out of my life. We hear the verse, it's in the Bible, it says that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But I think we often hear it like this, we should work to earn our salvation with fear and trembling. It's not what it says. We should work out our salvation. So I started thinking, you know what? We got this great salvation in us. We have, according to Galatians 5, the Holy Spirit has deposited, it lists nine specific fruit that's in our lives. I don't want that fruit, love, joy, peace, goodness, gracious, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, faithfulness, all the fruit. I don't want all that in me and just being in me. I want it to be lived out of me. So I'm going to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to say I want to live on the outside what's happened to me on the inside. You ever heard, saw this? It said, be the person your dog thinks you are. You know, and I, I read that one time. I thought, man, it's so true, you know. Dogs are just so faithful companions. Uh, I, I heard it also said one time, it said um, sometimes ladies will get mad because their husband says that the dog's their best friend because we know the dog is a man's best friend. And they said, you can test that out if you want. They said, lock your dog up in the trunk for six hours and your wife, and when you open the door, see which one's glad to see you. I thought, boy, that is true. By the way, do not do that. That was... Just, that was just a joke I read one time, do not do that. But it is true, you can lock your dog up in the truck for six hours, open the door, and they'll be, oh, you know, i excited to see you. Trust me, your wife won't. She will have found the tire jack while you're in there, and you will, you will be greeted when you open that door. Okay. So I want to be the person God sees me as. I want to be that person. So I'm going to do my best in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to work out because it's fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life and how I live. And so Jesus is our purifier. Now, there's another set of verses in Romans 5. We'll look at these and move towards the close. I want to examine these, I want them to sink in. In Romans, 5, or Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 8, starting at verse 3. It says, for what the law was powerless to do. Now, I want to pay attention. You, you all got good brains. You'll know what this is saying. What the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. There wasn't any problem with the law. You can read the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments, the original ten principles of God. But it was weakened by our flesh, by our humanity. You have noticed that we're not able to keep the rules, Right? we weakened because of our flesh so what the law couldn't do god did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh in other words as a human being to be a sin offering and so he condemned i love this verse he condemned sin i think it's romans 8 it starts out in verse 1 uh, there's therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in christ jesus So he didn't come to condemn us because that's the way the world looks at Jesus and looks at God. He's just out condemning us. He didn't come to condemn us. He came to condemn sin. And so here it says that he condemns sin in the flesh in order, I love this verse too, that the righteous requirements of the law, every time I read this, you'll hear me say this, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in whom? Us. Us. See, when I read that verse, I'm anticipating that it's going to say that the righteous requirements of the law may be fully met in Christ, which makes sense. He did it all, paid it all, he should. But Jesus did it all, paid it all, and then gave us the reward. All the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in you. If you haven't run into somebody who wants you to keep the law, and they say, you need to keep the law, you better keep the law, you better keep the law, you can tell them, I did. Every single one of them. All fully met. Well, how'd you do that? In Jesus? In Jesus. In Christ, all the righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And when we're born again, we become spirit people. The Bible says the Holy Spirit's deposited in us at the moment of birth. So as we look back, we see that righteousness is the perfect keeping of the divine and moral law, being sinless, and therefore being guilt-free that's a good definition and that's exactly what happened in christ all the righteous divine and moral laws of god were fully met in jesus and he gave us the reward for that so god looks at us and they're fully met in us now if i'm without sin and i'm righteous then i haven't committed sin as far as god's concerned and therefore i don't have guilt Now, we understand on a logical level, because if you said, don't you feel guilty for robbing the bank last night, Tracy, I'd say I don't feel guilty because I didn't rob a bank last night. We understand on a logical level, an earthly level. But Paul said, I speak to you a wisdom. It's not the wisdom of this world. It's the wisdom of the Spirit. And the wisdom of the Spirit is, you've got to see yourself spiritually. And that God sees you as holy. God sees you as righteous. God sees you as sinless. God sees you as forgiven. God sees you as guiltless. And I want to believe what God says about me. Now, our humanity again says, you cannot preach that stuff. You can't tell people out there they're as righteous and holy as they're ever going to be, that they're forgiven, that they're sin-free. If you teach people that, they're going to sin a lot. Well, two things. First of all, people already sin a lot. You say, do you realize people who have never heard this message sin a lot people who love Jesus who have never heard this message sin a lot and so this message doesn't make you sin a lot in fact we'll look at in the upcoming weeks how actually if we get this in us it decreases sin it does not increase sin it decreases sin so I I don't want you to walk away and say wow Tracy taught today hey you're forgiven so go live like Satan you know you can just live it up do whatever you want God doesn't even care well God cares and we should care so we're not. This isn't making us want to sin more. It should make us want to love Jesus more. Amen. And we shouldn't feel empowered to sin. We should feel empowered to live righteously. Righteousness produces right living. That's why you hear me say this on occasion. And, and I'm not just trying to split hairs when I say this, but I really don't think we should ever say that I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Now every single one of us have said it, some of us may still say it, but the reason I don't like that is because I want to change the way I think and the way I see things. And by the way, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you were a sinner who has been saved by grace, and now you're a new creation and you are the righteousness of God. Because I want to see myself now as a sinner, because it may seem silly, but I believe it's true, if I'm just an old sinner, well what do old sinners do? They sin. So I don't want to see myself as an old sinner. I want to see myself as the righteousness of God in Christ. What do righteous people do? Live righteously. And so it's something we really need to get buried inside is it doesn't produce more sin. It produces less sin. So I want you to go out of here today realizing I'm forgiven. I'm free. I don't have to have guilt. I can tell you this right now. You were not built for guilt. You, guilt guilt. you weren't built for it you, you need to be free from it it hinders your walk with God it hinders your, your usefulness for God because I can't do anything for God because I'm, I'm a shameful guilty sinner I can't do how could I do something for God boy Satan loves you to be in that spot you know if you're going to be a believer he wants you to be a shame filled guilty one because you're not going to do anything for God because after all everyone will say how dare you do something for God you're just a guilty shame filled sinner so the scripture tells in Hebrews that he even cleanses us from a guilty conscience. So we have to trust God for that. So here's some points I want us to ponder this week. First of all, am I a Christian? Am I a Christian? Have I, have I really yielded my life to God? Now, it doesn't mean, are you as good as this person or that person? Remember the person you thought about and you thought was most like Jesus? Well, I don't know if I'm a Christian because I'm not like them. It's not. The Bible actually has this verse. Those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. That's not wise to do. So I say, am I a Christian? Have I given my life to Jesus? Have I yielded myself to him? They didn't say, were you perfect? didn't say, do you have everything figured out? But salvation is available for all who believe. Have you believed? Second thing is, okay, if I'm a Christian, if so, am I really purified from all sin and all unrighteousness? I want you to really think this through because you've got to get this in your heart. You can't just say, well, he said I was. No, you've got to get it in you. Am I really purified from all sin and all unrighteousness? If so, then I'm 100%. I'm a 100% forgiven believer. I'm forgiven forever. The next one, which means I have zero need for guilt or shame. I have zero need for guilt or shame. Don't waste a day. Don't waste a minute on guilt or shame. If you sin, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, know you're forgiven, and move forward. And five, how should I live if I'm purified? How should I live if I'm forgiven? How should I live if I'm guilt-free? And I bet if you really think that through, there will not be one answer that will come to you, I know, I should sin more. You won't come up with that answer to that at all. You'll say, wow, I should live as a forgiven, purified, shame-free, guilt-free lover of Jesus.